I am unashamed. What about you? All right, so we've got uh, Zach back with us. Zach's like a mist that comes in from the Carolina mountains. <laughs> well, this is going to be a continuation of the last podcast. So if you didn't listen to the last one, stop what you're doing. Go watch that one because you're probably not going to get this one if you weren't at the previous one. He flows in. He flows I don't know in. the numbers of these podcasts, but. We're up in the. They're in the 600s We're now. in the 600s. Many hours. Which is dangerous. You spend this much time, you know, talking a discussion online. There's no telling what we've said over the years. That we're going to misspeak from time to time. It's going to happen. That's exactly right. That's why I we re- pray it, forgiveness for our shortcomings. I reiterate yeah. that once every couple of weeks, I wear a T-shirt that says, "I could be wrong." <laughs> That's true. So the last podcast we talked uh, about some from my sermon I preached, but Zach, you preached as well. We never got to your sermon. You're in Ephesians, right? Yeah, Ephesians uh, 3, we were talking about in the last part, which is something, by the way, that comes up. We have this discussion a lot just about, you know, over-intellectualizing the gospel and um, and getting too heady. And we have a inside joke that's now become an outside joke, I guess, with some of the words we use. And we, we tongue-in-cheek joke about it, but we were we did have a good discussion about just keeping it simple. And um, one, the point I made at the end of the last podcast and overtime, if you guys aren't um, subscribed to the blaze was just that for me, I, I needed that. I needed that deep study, you know, cause I had a lot of doubts about the Christian faith. Um, you know, I was really, really struggling. And so just ha- having a pastor tell me just, and just have faith. It just wasn't, I didn't understand what that meant. It wasn't enough for me. So I didn't, so my point was, it's, it's not the word, you know, we, we don't need to intellectualize the gospel, but we also don't need to be anti-intellectual. But in, in Paul's prayer in Ephesians, uh, which I preached on Sunday, he has this interesting line in verse 19 when he's praying for these folks. He prays that they would know this love, which, by, by the way, that love is the love of Christ that's mentioned in verse 18. That they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I, I was just making the point in that last podcast that what what Christ is, what Paul's praying for is not that we don't have knowledge. It's, it's, it's a certain type of knowledge that surpasses knowledge. And the point I made was that it's a relational knowledge. It's a knowledge of God that is intimate and real and tangible. And, and that should go deep in your life, you know? So, I don't know. It meant a lot to me um, when I read that, and um, it encouraged me. It's one of my favorite texts in in the whole Bible. It's, it's definitely one of my favorite prayers, and I've preached that before too. Zach, in eighteen, I love that in the NIV. It says yeah. to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and I've always used that. I love it. Like when I used to teach that text, I would draw the arrows, you know that directionally show the love of Christ. And I always say that that means that there's no place we can be too high, too wide, or too low to be away from Christ, that his love can't find us there. And, you know, it's that idea that sometimes we just feel so low or so far away that the love of Christ can't find us. But it's like, no, it's, 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 it it reaches in the lowest place or the furthest place uh, or the highest place, you know, and, and, and finds us, which is a powerful picture to me. So I love that text. It's really, really strong. No, I think that was a great way to describe what we've been discussing. And, you know, we're in Second Peter 3, which to a lot of people this is scary and frightening, and there's hundreds of different takes on this. But one of the, uh, you know, one of the things that people don't like about following Christ is the idea of judgment and hell being real and you know the i mean he uses some pretty graphic language here you know like verse seven the same word by the same word comparing this to what happened in the flood noah the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men and so you know a lot of people they just 
they they want to believe in Jesus and they and God's love, but they don't want to believe in a hell or a judgment day. It's just the nature of humanity. It's like we compartmentalize. And so uh, I heard a, a preacher say one time in a sermon, he said, I want to tell you that I don't believe hell is necessarily about fire and darkness. I think that he was saying that that's a, just a metaphor. And so you could actually hear, and he made a point, he's like, I, you know, people were glad he said that. They're like, ooh, you know, you're talking about eternal fire and darkness. He said, but I will say that it's a metaphor for something way worse than fire or darkness. <laughs> and then there was a collective gasp of, Oh, wait, I don't like this. <laughs> what could be worse? Right? But he made the point of saying that, number one, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He does have this unlimited patience, which is why we're where we're at today. God is displaying his unlimited patience. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And then he also said, but hell is without God. And we have these fires and this darkness that come upon us on the earth that we give into, and nobody's going to wind up in hell that didn't choose to be there. And so it was a, it was a, so he was saying it's just a continuation of the decision you made while on earth with God's grace extended to you in Jesus that you chose to ignore. So, yeah, you can use fire, you can use... Uh, so that's why you have all these illustrations in other passages. You know, if I if I subjected uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, it's so eerily sim uh, similar to what Peter said. Now, this is from Paul. But just watch the phraseology, and you see the same picture that we're discussing in, in 2 Peter 3. It says... Uh, where you at? No, I said Second Corinthians, but it's First, first Corinthians. Yeah, it's First Corinthians three. So you remember they had this debate about some are following Apollos, and we know the state of the Corinthian church. There was, as in Peter's discussing, there was a lot of sinful behavior going on. Right, and some, just like Peter said, some scoffers were getting around facing God and his truth in their life by saying, "Well, I'm going to follow." follow Apollos and I'm going to, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm just going to pick who I'm going to follow. And so in verse five of first Corinthians three, it says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And then he, he goes on to say in some, you know, uh, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but only God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. And then he says, kind of like what Peter does when he said, you know, we rise up as the, the building of God. We're God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. And then he makes the same application. So he gets down to verse 11 and says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, stones, wood, hay, straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, which Second Peter 3 calls it the Lord's day, mm -hmm will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So you have an illustration of there's a day coming what you built your foundation on in life matters right. and the work that you've pursued matters and you will stand before God and, and have this moment. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, it's a, uh, it is scary, but I think it's in here for a reason. 
and you know Luke 16 comes to mind where you have the rich man and Lazarus and I think it's interesting that Lazarus has a name and I think that's on purpose and the rich man was just one of many in hell right and he's griping you know Jesus is telling it's the only parable in the gospels that Jesus used where he actually used a real name yeah and I think he did that on purpose and which has created a lot of debate as to whether it was a real story was it a real person is you know there's a lot of theological debate over you know was it really a parable you know which is what we're talking you about you read a lot on the spectrum of debate yeah. about that to Zach's point we intellectualize that parable it's probably one of the most argued parables and debated there is, that's whether, right but the ramifications are look he's in hell it's not good and he's still griping and complaining. I mean, basically, when you look at what the rich man's uh, arguments were, he wanted Lazarus to come to hell with him. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and cool his tongue. Right. Just a drop of water. A and he was basically, uh, you know, throwing God under the bus by saying, well, you know, he didn't have enough information. Because then he's like, well, go send, send one of the prophets to my brothers because... If they knew how bad this was, they don't want to come here. But he's actually implying that he didn't get enough information or he wouldn't have ended up there. Right. And, uh, you know, Jesus was clear in that moment. Even if someone comes back from the dead, they're not going to believe it because it comes back to your heart and what you have built your life on as the foundation. And it gets to a point that we bring up many times. Everyone has something in the center of their life. You got to figure out what that is. And if it's anything other than Jesus, judgment day is not going to go well for you. And it's not God's fault. And you're right. And Jesus used a lot of illustrative language, whether he was being specific or illustrative, it was all bad. He used, you know, when you, you, you hear the words Gehenna and it, when he's talking about the dump and trash heap and the worm that never dies and you know, all these descriptions. Darkness. Yeah. Gnashing yeah. of teeth. Uh, I mean, all these things were bad. Weeping, Fire, wailing, right. weeping. Yeah, you're like, well, this is this is scary. That's why we made the point that Jesus spent more time talking about hell and judgment than any other person in the Bible. Yeah, and I, and all of it to the Jewish mind was this is something you don't want. You you don't want this. And it's interesting because Peter comes along and he's trying to get paint some of those same pictures of what you what you don't want to you know you don't want to be a part of. I was thinking, Jason, you mentioned that about it made me think about the last spoken words before that gap of silence that Malachi mentions. And he mentions that same day of the Lord in Malachi four, when he says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah, which, you know, we know he was talking about John the Baptist, uh, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So he was mentioning that before Jesus comes to talk about what we're now talking about, and that was that was about four hundred year low, right before that he was happened. Saying like it took to happen many moment. That's exactly right to talk about the how we talk about time, Woo. and he says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And then that's that long gap before uh, John the Baptist comes along. So before we even get to this discussion that Peter's having, we see that. That, that push to the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, so it's springtime, which means it's time to get our yards in shape. Zach, you, you got some yard work you're working on up there in North Carolina? I do. I'm trying to build a, a border. I need a border around the, the back of my yard and the side one side of the yard. Well, you know, they say that um, good fences make good neighbors, uh, but our friends at Fast Growing Trees say that trees make uh, an even better border. So you might need to get in touch with them and uh, order you some Fast Growing Trees. I think that's a, a probably a good move to make. We did that when we bought our place down at the uh, our southern lair down in Gulf Shores. They came, uh, we ordered some last year in the spring, and they came, they're in great shape. You don't have to go to uh, one of these stores and break your back. It comes right to the house. They were fantastic. I think we ordered some uh, some palm trees is what we got from them. And uh, they, they come right to the house. They're in great shape. Did they grow fast? They grew fast. They absolutely did. And they're, they come to you in fantastic uh, shape already. Um, they got the plant expert, so you can go online. If you're not sure something will grow in your area, 
you know, because sometimes different things grow better in different areas. And so they got experts online that can help you with that. Obviously, no long lines. Um, they curate thousands of easy-to-grow plants and shrubs uh, in many varieties. With fast-growing trees, you got 30-day alive and thrive guarantee. Everything's going to look great, fresh out of the box. Check them out. Join over 1.5 million happy fast-growing tree customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Robertson. Right now, you're going to get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Robertson. Check them out. Zach, get you some border trees. You read, um, you read Paul's description in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 about how I think it gives a little more context. To, I mean, we, we don't know what it's going to be in terms of like, you know, actuality, but we do know this, that he will punish those. This is in Second uh, Thessalonians 1, verse 8. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And this is how they'll be punished in verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day that he comes to be glorified in his people and to be marveled at among all those who believe this includes you because you believed our testimony uh, to you. And so I think that if you start to understand the framework of hell, we, we truly being that you're shut out from the presence of the Lord, then the, the, uh, the converse of that is true as well, that, that heaven is being in the presence of the Lord and hell is being out of the presence of the Lord. So I think that when I think about what, what what I fear more than anything is for God to give me over to myself, you know, like he did. And when the wrath of God was revealed in Romans chapter one, he said the wrath of God's being revealed, but that wrath was that he just leaves you to yourself. And um, I think Jay said on it when he last podcast, when he was talking about addiction, but it's any sin, it's any sin. If you just go to the end of that sin and say, I'm just going to pursue this, whatever this thing is, this pleasure, this, whatever it is, I'm going to go for it to the very end. In the end, that's going to be the very thing that destroys you. And I think that when you think about hell being a place of extreme loneliness, isolation, um, I mean, you're zero intimacy, no connection, every man for himself, Mad Max type of of scene. It's it's going to be a very scary place for anyone who's there. I think Paul paints that description pretty good. No doubt about it, which we just said. If you have a foundation that's not Jesus, which just means that whatever you're going after in life, there's something else that you feel like, if I get this, then I'll be be fine. I will arrive. If I get a lot of money, a lot of people, it's, you know, it's money. If I make a lot of money and retire and can do whatever I want to, I will have made it. Well, that's that's a lie. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah. It, it's going to crush you. And but you see that. Ha- so and it doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily an evil thing. It could be something good because when you think about you know the Pharisee world, here are these people who are following most of the commandments. They're uh, you know they're living good lives but it's a foundation that's not jesus and and grace and it's gonna the end result is going to be the same thing you you will crumble because at the end of the day you're not good enough right without christ that's why everybody has to come to that realization i want i wanted to share something i saw uh very seldom do i recommend a movie but i saw a good one last night and i got to put this in context because it relates to what we're talking about i spent a few hours studying Second Peter three, and you know I've been out of town for days, and Missy wanted to watch a movie, and I was like, "Well, good luck finding a movie worth watching." But we like, you know, most of the movies we watch are based on true stories, and so somehow or another, uh, she had watched a movie about Winston Churchill called The Darkest Hour, and she's like, "I want to watch that again, and you'll you'll love it." I've seen it. Oh, you know, you've seen it? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about it? I loved it. So I did too. And I think it's PG-13, but it's it's history. And based on me studying 2 Peter 3 for hours, so I made a spiritual application 
of a physical reality that happened in history, which was here's Winston Churchill. He is, uh, he becomes prime minister. And the next day, you know, Germany was literally routing their army. What They were in danger of being taken over by Hitler and the Nazi regime. And so a lot of his advisors were saying, just surrender and let's make the best deal possible because we cannot, we can't fight this army. I mean, but he was thinking no nation. I mean, one of the things he said is no nation that has surrendered has ever become to anything. He's like, but the ones that died trying to be free and independent, they might've got routed, but they came back and they rebuilt. So that, and he just didn't want to betray what, what he, what he thought. But the more dire the situation became, he just, it looked like there was no possibility that they would not be under Nazi control. So he started entertaining the idea of surrendering, even though it was against everything he believed in. So he basically went out, you know, talked to the people, and, and I'm, I'm ruining the movie for you, but this is history. You can read it out of a book. <laughs> we pretty much know how it ends, Jason. <laughs> and so, but what I found fascinating was, and here's, here's the point I want to make that I think, and you can watch the movie. It's incredible. It's great. The, the 2017. Point, the point was he finally up. realized that what do you have if an evil dictator, just pure evil, is running your country? What are you left with? And he he finally realized, you know what? I'd rather die. Yeah. And it's really in a personal spiritual way is what everybody has to come to realize in their own in their own life and faith when they're considering Jesus. When you got to realize whatever's driving you that's not Jesus, you got you've got to be willing to die in order to have your life look like that being in control. You have to do it, which is really what the gospel is all about and how we respond to it. And so he made a comment that I'll never forget. I didn't write it down, but I'll never forget it. But because when, when Peter says the Lord in verse nine is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so you said, what is repentance? Well, it's a change of mind. It's a change of heart you know, based on who Jesus is. Well, Winston Churchill made a quote and because his advisors who, uh, who thought they had him changing his mind in that he would surrender and just take the best deal possible. Well, when he came out and gave his speech after consulting with the people, you know, in the movie, they had him riding a subway asking what the people thought. I'm not sure that really took place, but if it did, that's awesome. But, so his the guys who thought they had talked into it, they said, well, you, what, did you change your mind? And he said, well, what I found is one who does not change his mind, he can't change anything. Hmm, and he good. was just saying, hmm. yeah, it really was. It was like, yeah, I changed my mind. I was considering it because I didn't see a path to victory. But so, and so I started considering a surrender, but then I changed my mind which the the whole change of mindset was I would rather be dead fighting tyranny and evil than surrender to it. Yeah. So, I mean, I wish somebody could have preached the gospel to him in that moment because it really is what we're about. You think about when people don't change their mind, and I know in my own life when, when, I've, when I've had a refusal to change my mind, it's because I built a foundation or a built whatever I was building on a foundation that I could not compromise. And so if you change, you, you, so you start. To, I think that's that point you were talking about earlier in the scripture reading about what you build your foundation on. If you build your foundation of your life on something that's not, that's false, then what you'll do, you'll have to protect it. Cause if this thing comes down, man, the whole thing's going to come down. And I think when I've, I got kicked in the teeth a few times. I'm 45 and I'm the youngest of us, but I think all of us have been kicked in the teeth a few times in life. And I think we're, what God wants us to do is build our life around him because that's, that, that's your double down. That's your change. You always be willing to change. The reason why people don't want to change is because they don't want to compromise the kingdom that they built or, or maybe it's a big pride issue. You know, you're too prideful, but 
But you start talking about entering into what you're mentioning here that comes from repentance. Um, that's a good change to make. And I, and I, I and I think uh, ironically to the Winston Churchill's point, it, you, it's when you say I'd rather die than to live like this is, well, that's what happens. You do die. And then, and then you're resurrected to live a new life. Romans six. That was what my sermon was yesterday. You put to death. I mean, it's what, it's what Peter said. In- well, it's ironic <laughs> that it's actually, he wouldn't surrender to the, you know, tyranny and evil. So it, that the only caveat difference is we. What's crazy about what we do in Jesus is we do surrender. Is the path to victory to a greater power than ourselves? But this power is a hundred percent holy, a hundred percent just, a hundred percent loving, eternal. I mean, all the qualities that God has. That's why He's the ultimate foundation. To live the best life, you put to death the old life. I mean, yeah. it was, no, it's all it right. has to be done. It has to be done. And, you know, and so I said yesterday, you, you, you live, for me, I only lived a reckless life for a short period of time, but it was enough. It was enough to know I didn't want to do that. And it made it extremely difficult to get out of. Oh. Because it tends to snowball. That's why I went into that when he said, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. It's not the sins necessarily that are the problem. It was the thinking that led you into the sin. And then the sin just snowballed everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you started isolating yourself. You started rationalizing your behavior. You started doubting that there's a God. And then you thought, well, there's no way I can come out of this. I'm too far gone. And all these excuses in your thinking. And that's what he's trying to jar them into saying, these people running around telling you that God's not coming back and there's no judgment. And, I mean, he, he viewed them as a dog returning to its vomit. How, how could he? That's why he was using such graphic language. They don't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Therefore, God gives them over to do what ought not to be done. Which is a profound statement that everyone has to realize is that at some point in your life, you've got to realize that you're living a lie. Because we all do. That's what living a sinful life is all about. It impacts others in such a powerful way. It was funny because Alex and I were talking. My five-year-old granddaughter was watching the live stream version of Lisa and I yesterday. So she's five years old, and she's first listening to me preach. And so, you know, you don't know what they're really comprehending. But so when her ma'am, which is her, you know, Lisa, her grandmother gets up, just because she was emotional, and talking, and so she's probably not comprehending the words she's saying, but the emotion of it carries through. Well, she starts crying. She's five years old. It's her grandmother that's speaking, but the emotion carried weight, and so she's, you know, starts crying at the impact of that. And I thought about that, how that impacts others. And I said something yesterday in my sermon. We must be become like these children. Jesus like children, said. exactly. And so I, so I talked about it, how that when people live a reckless life, I said, you know, it's not just you, but there's somebody somewhere that is crying, praying, and hurt by your life. It's, it never fails. And, Dad, I was thinking about for you. You know, you had a sister. You had a parent, you had someone that was concerned and the whole time you were living a certain way, someone else was concerned about you. And that's the thing about it. You don't live your life in a vacuum. That's right. And so, you know, you have to think about that. It's not just you. It's, oh, it's no, other it's, people. It's, it's relationships. It's what Zach was preaching about. It's, it's well, relationship. Well, the whole theme of this, Second Peter's been growing up in the Lord. And, you know, we brought up this about, you know, new babes being to needing to be fed, like, you know, First Peter 2 was referencing. But when you think about it in this passage, you know, Second Peter 3, I mean, he's going to give this picture of what happens of the Lord's day and judgment. And there is a heaven. There is a hell. There are consequences. But then he spends the last few verses talking about God's unlimited patience. Yeah. Uh, he even brings it up again in verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. I mean, he, he, he's not after us. And then what does he do? He spends the rest of the book talking about growing in the grace of the Lord. Mm-hmm. He, you know, uh, a realization that hell is real is not going to ultimately change your life. I mean, but it's going to point you in a direction of which Jesus is that will change your life. But when you ignore and rationalize and say it's not real, 
there's the problem. You're like, there's no con. That's the lie that you're telling telling yourselves. And what I thought about this is these two big arguments in here. Really, kids illustrate that more than anything. One is this this idea of justice, and the other is time. When you think about it, with kids, they're incredibly conscious of justice because when you see, like, you know, a kid has a toy and another kid comes up there and takes their toy, oh, it's the end of the world. <laughs> it's stop it. what you're doing, That's right. parents. This person stole my toy. I want justice. Right. I'm screaming, flopping around on the floor. <laughs> Because an injustice has been done, and we must make it right, and they will continue to hold on that for days. The other thing is time. When you tell your kid, you know, I learned this the hard way with little kids. When they say, how long till we get there? It's an unanswerable question because they have no concept of time. You know, I used to say, well, it won't be long. Well, then they, you know, five seconds later, they ask you again, well, what? It's either now or never. If it's three hours, that might as well be never because they can't and they don't understand the concept of time. It's just so fascinating to me that you see these things that we have a hard time wrapping our head around. I just put the Seinfeld line on to about five, ten minutes. About five, ten minutes. Well, I finally just started saying it's way, it's going to feel way longer. <laughs> And you think it's gonna feel like an eternity, and then they go ahead and throw their fit and get over it because it can be five minutes, it yeah. doesn't matter. You can't explain to them mm. the concept of time and travel. How many right. miles is it? Well, how long does that take? You're, you're having a meaningless conversation, yeah, because they can't because in, in five seconds they go ask the same question again. We've already gone through this, but they don't have the experience to relate to that and so i think ultimately that's how we are about hell and that's why i said it could possibly be a metaphor just like heaven when you read things in revelation you're like man what what does this mean and everybody writes books about what it actually means it would be like us living in the air in the clouds and then and you've never been on land you've never been on water and then somebody tries to describe to you since we're people of the clouds what that's what what land and water is well, how are you going to be able to do that? So that's why we struggle with what exactly this means. We're talking, a, you know, a guy's in hell like the Luke 16 and he's wanting a drop of water. Well, that doesn't even make sense. The point is he's in such agony he wants some relief because a drop of water is not going to help him. Right. And there's this great chasm where those who are here cannot cross over to the neck. You remember the Luke mm-hmm. 16? He's like... He was giving you this picture. Was it a real picture? Probably not, but it was trying to relate. This is as bad as you can end up, and there's no coming back from it. And the, you know, Lazarus, he was good. <laughs> which is which is why I think that's why he painted the picture in in First Peter three and in four. We kept talking about the dead and judgment was because you can't change that. In other words, it's unchanging. No, I think you're right. That's yeah. why all these scholars they can't figure it out. They're like they kept I saying mean, he wants to go back in time and we how talk to we, these people. It's like no, it's unchanging is his concept. I will say this: if your theology of of the uh, as Zach calls it the eschatology, <laughs> if it lines up with a movie called Back to the Future, if you got to start doing some time traveling, I think you should stop and reconsider how you're how you're viewing this. What I mean, about the espatological? Espet- oh, my goodness. Estomological. I even humility. forgot what that meant. <laughs> Epistemological. Epistemological. What, what did that It is... Uh, Relating to the theory of knowledge, especially with regard to its methods, validity, and scope, and the distinction between justified belief and opinion. So what does that mean? I think Zach hit that (laughs) in Ephesians 3. I mean, 
That was Zach really subtly saying, Jace, I agree with you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love that verse what he read when it says, I pray that, you know, Ephesians 3, 17, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, and how high and deep the love of Christ is and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's exactly right. So, so we can have our theology, but the theology has got to lead you to a personal relationship with God, which is what Peter was after because he was saying your life is not lining up with who you've surrendered to. He just keeps bringing it up about the sinful desires of your heart, the, that, those, that list that you read from 1 Peter 4. I mean, all what we call these big sin. Well, he's talking to believers. Yeah. You know, dog returned to his vomit. So I, re- I remind every group I speak to, including the ones yesterday, when I get to the end, speaking of the gospel of Jesus, I always tell them, it's not rocket science. You don't have to be a big brain to, do, to see it. Keep it simple. Right. It's not complex, too complex to understand. Nope. Jesus, him crucified and raised from the dead. It's not rocket science. It did happen. It is real. We are counting time by the one who did it. And he said, I'll end it. I don't see what the problem is. Just do it. Well, and he and he keeps saying, don't, look, you, you've been. The guy to- wanted me to pray for him yesterday. He came out of the audience and he said, that that is was as simple and powerful as anything ever, you know. Pray for me that I can, I can just see that. So I did. So his wife responded to Lisa's story. I mean, yeah, our story. Yep, because it's powerful, and that's the thing. They were just passing through. Never seen them before in my life. The the point is, once delivered, why would you ever want to go back? Which is what he kept saying in in the first his first letter. Why would you want to do that? And then he continues it later. And even, Jace, that's what he was talking about when he's talking in chapter 4, because he's saying these pagans, you know, he's he's like, why would you want to live like they do? You you spend enough time doing that. You, you've you left that. You don't want to go back to that. That's, no. that's his point. But they have scoffers, whatever the scoffer means. <laughs> I don't know a dot definition of a – I mean, the NIV translates – translates it scoffer scoffer the scoffers had convinced them that the flood didn't happen that or you know and even if it did a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something often of religion or moral values is that what it says Mm -hmm. well that's a great word then yeah so there's a lot of scoffers out there saying oh you jesus following people there's no consequences there. You got to remember. They're the, mean. The problem with the scoffer. <laughs> They're mean. And I, I think this, because you do have to change your mind. You do have to have this moment where you got to say, I'm not going to surrender to evil thinking, especially, look, when they have no other rational ideas about the afterlife. I mean, that's what the scoffer has no alternative. Because I don't know of any other besides the eternal God and what he did through Jesus. Which, to your point, Jace, don't you think it's you make fun of what you can't, what you have no idea of how to explain? You make fun of it. That's, that's what you do. And look, it's an assault on Jesus loving, believing people in our culture. I mean, you see it right. every day. Right. Any, like, if there's, if something happens in a church where somebody famous or a pastor or whatever, if they do anything, immoral and whatever that is front page with the oh, yeah. with the culture that they all point not their fingers up. look at here boy this i mean how many movies are there any, any kind of cult or religious groups that goes off the rails i mean people are still talking about the people drinking the kool-aid and the and so they're like well that's that's all the religious people right there a bunch of crazy no they had some scoffers in the camp that it infiltrated yep. and they got off the foundation being Jesus. Cause when you really take a look at Jesus to Zach's point on Ephesians three, you, you look at Jesus and what he represents and you're not going to find anything. There's going to be no holes 
I'm confident that if you will look at Jesus for yourself, you you will find no accusation of sin and you'll find nothing sinister, malicious, or doesn't make sense to live in forever. Yeah. You're not going to find it. Well, that's right. That's what I was like, Zach. I was a skeptic on when I came, you know, to faith in Jesus. I was kind of trying to disprove God through the Bible. I just thought, oh, there's no way. I mean, you're talking about, you know, some dude getting eaten by a fish. And I, t- I took the most crazy stories and thought, eh. <laughs> I've seen a lot of fish. Now, I hadn't seen one that could eat me, and then I lived to tell about it three days later. And But the more I got into looking at Jesus, I was just, you know, it, it convicted me. That was the little underlying thread of the Jesus Revolution movie, which was really well done. So, you know, you got the whole story with the Greg Laurie is the pastor, and it's his story of when he's converted. And then you got the hippies and how they kind of, you know, they're them becoming Christians. And you got this pastor out there and his movement. But the underlying little thread that was a little hidden gem in there was the guy that's writing a story for Time magazine, and he keeps popping up, and you don't know who the guy is. It was an African-American guy. And at the end of it, it's like, oh, yeah, we got this magazine. You didn't even know. And it just shows that they made the cover of Time magazine in the late 60s, which would have been a big deal back then, the Jesus Revolution. But his dialogue at the end of the movie was interesting because he says, you know, he's talking to the guy who's going to be the future pastor. And he says, well, you know, I want to check this out because, you know, things are pretty bad. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I really want it to be true. And it was really interesting because he's a skeptic, you know, because he's a journalist and he, you know, he, I am just here to cover the story. You know, he's like a newsman, but he's like, things are so bad. I want this to be true. Yeah. And I thought that was really fascinating because from a skeptic's perspective, would it be better if Jesus and Christianity were true and we really had relationship in heaven and you didn't have what was described with all this bad stuff going on i've never heard one yet answer the question who has the best story i mean and i wait for an answer and there's just silence there's they're just trying to think let's see all my sins removed and being raised from the dead and live forever you got a better story come on out with it i want to hear it right this, you know, we're silence still, crickets. We're still waiting. <laughs> still waiting. So I feel like we should read three ten uh, through through thirteen when it says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief." So that weeds out all these predictions, which I'm not sure why people feel obsessed when you have a clear verse. Clear verse that says it's going to come like a thief. So why is the religious world trying to figure out when that's going to happen? Yeah. So if you're going to a religious group of people where the guy's getting You'll up. You'll be looking till, till the day comes. Yeah, and if he and has a, way, a date circle on the calendar, I would go somewhere else. I really would. And, <laughs> and that also means that it hasn't happened yet because there's some people in that camp. Oh, yeah, it's already happened. Yeah. No, we're well, still, we're still waiting. We're still you know, there's a camp for everyone, Al. <laughs> <I know>. uh-huh. <laughs> the a lot day, of camps up there. The too. day of the Lord will come like a thief. So the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire and everything in it will be burned up. Now, what's confusing about this, if you had not been in the faith long, because people say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were going to heaven. And this says the heavens will disappear and the elements will be destroyed by fire. So I think we should bring up the, the phrase heaven and earth. So in... Where's that in Isaiah? You, it's in the 60s. Uh, so like the phrase new heaven and new earth, this was not introduced right here. Yeah, if you not. go back in Isaiah or, or just do a Google search of it, you'll see that it represented, it was used in the Old Testament to represent the what Jesus was bringing in the, the church right. from the uh, old ways of Judaism and so it would say a new heaven and new earth. So that was a that when you look at what the Greek words are saying. So in this case, that's why this is such a hotly debated passage, because an average person would read this and say, oh, 
well, we're going to get a new earth and a new heaven. Because he goes on to say, no, the verse 11 is the, what that means to our lives. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives, uh, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. Speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, which is where he started this whole section in, uh, was it Second Peter 1 or First Peter 1? Second Peter 1, verse 4, where he said, he's given us the very great and precious promises so that we may participate in the divine nature. So one of the promises he's given us is that we're going to live forever. You know, with him. So, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So, there's a new order that's going to take place. The reason I brought up this phraseology of new heaven and new earth, which Peter would have been familiar with Isaiah to the point of this would have been a common phrase Isaiah 65. Oh, Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Thank you. Way to go, Matty. Misconcordance. So when you read that, my point is, whatever you believe is going to happen, I mean, we can talk about it, whether it's a renovated earth, because it says new earth, so people say, it's a renovated earth. Well, It's a big change, but a good one. It's a good change, but like I said, it's hard for our human brains to comprehend living eternally, number one. Number two, it's hard for our human brains, once we get our head wrapped around that, because when you start thinking of living forever and ever and ever, that's hard enough. Then how and where we're going to live, <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, because it's hard for me, me to relate. Too. What are we going to be doing? What are we going to be doing? How am I going to look? What am I, am I going to be a 32? three-year-old version of myself or I'm going to be well, and another, we can't help but then we're getting back to the kid thing that's why I brought up the kid thing they, they're never gonna a three-year-old is never gonna wrap their heads around that it's gonna take three hours and 30 minutes to get there and and you're never gonna be able to describe going to a beach when they've never been to a beach you're like it has sand they're like what is sand well uh I got nothing. <laughs> it's like dirt little, you walk on. Little, yeah. It's <laughs> like dirt, and so what I'm saying is, why do we have the same? We recognize it with our kids. We're kids in Christ. We haven't been to heaven. Now a lot of people claim they have. They saw the light. Well, they were on their way. You know, we see a light, but it, you know, maybe your brain just processed. But even the Jewish mind, when you say the word heaven. Or heavens, they view that at three levels. That's when Paul said, "I was caught up in the third heaven." They have heavens, meaning the sky, what we would call the sky, mm -hmm. and then what we would call the universe above the sky, the heavens. And then they would view, say where God is is beyond that. That's what Paul said. He took a trip to the third heaven. So I mean, but so what I'm saying is, when you start trying to describe that. That's one word, heaven or heavens. Exactly. This, but that's three different. It's a levels. doozy. It's a doozy. It's not. It's not so easy. my point is, it doesn't matter to me, and I don't think it matters to y'all. What exactly you believe on when this is going down? Because it's going to be like a thief. On how this is going to look. Does it really matter? No. no. It doesn't matter. If you look around, see, if I'm it's going to be a renovated, no, look, I've had, I've said this same statement, and religious people get extremely upset. Like, oh, it does matter, and I'm like, <laughs> no, it's like you know, my first house costs not much money, and it looked like a dumpster fire, and the my last house, I think, looks great. Looked like a palace. I've been in it. <laughs> Does it really matter? Does it really matter? The point was, I was. There's an upgrade my, there, and I believe we're was, on the way to an upgrade. And I'm a little more comfortable than I was. But the bottom line is, it was who was in the house. It was my wife and my kids. Nothing changed. That that's what makes a home. I mean. It's not the if I put all my eggs in the basket on how big my house was. 
I would miss the whole point of You'd having still be house. building on it. Yeah, I'd still be building. I'd build a bigger one. And uh-huh. There comes a point where, like, you know, I, I think I'm good. And I'm just using that as, as an illustration that the key moment and the key phrase of this whole discussion, and I think Peter's discussion, is you got to look deep into your life and your heart and say, what is what is the center of this? The foundation needs to be Jesus. And that's where all these decisions come out of. You arm yourselves with the attitude of Jesus. That was the first Peter 4. We forget we got so caught up in all these things that we do and the baggage that comes along with our sinful lives. Our attitude should be like Jesus. So we have to take, first of all, a good look at who Jesus is and what he did, and it should break our hearts. We should surrender to him. We should reenact his death, burial, and resurrection, you know, surrender to him. We should repent, change our mind, change our, you know, the gospel changes everything. That's a great statement on that. And then, yeah, one of these days we look up and we're going to be the people rubbing our hands together when Jesus comes back. You're like, what are you rubbing your hands together for? Because we're excited. We're excited about this. We're going home. We're, we're, we're going to where God is and where the people who love God go. And so if we spend all our energy, I really think that's what our reward is. I, I did a long study on what what is the reward, because there's a lot of verses in there that says you will receive a reward. Well, think about what is it? What's well, not anything material. You're alive and not dead. I think it's the people that you had a hand in bringing with you. That is oh, yeah. the reward. Is is Because oh, yeah. the only thing that's going to stand up under the heat of fire is... God and his people. We're out of time here, but I think in the next podcast, Jess, we need to talk about that, the rewards of heaven. That would be a great... Oh, it's... Yeah. That's well, it. I have it rewards as in God and people. Yeah. I like that. Let's talk about that on the next podcast. We uh, A little bit more we'll talk about in overtime in this text, because I thought you brought up a good point about kind of the true motivation of this. So uh, blazetv.com slash unashamed if you want to follow us over for a little more in overtime. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.